think it's the first time it's been three weeks in a row that I'm up here. If you've just started coming the last few weeks, I'm not usually up here like this. Um, it's just to do with where we're heading, the topic, what we've been um, feeling that Holy Spirit's bring, bringing, been bringing up direction-wise. So I'm not going to do a big recap on the last two weeks, but today's week three of this topic of looking at the personal, looking at our own fire, looking at if you take away Sunday gatherings, which kind of do impact our fire, that's what you know, the gathering of the saints is for. And if you take away life hubs and if you take away praying with others, what is left behind when it comes to our personal relationship with the Lord? What kind of fire is there? What kind of hunger for him is there? What kind of passion is him for him is there? What kind of eating the word? So reading the word of God and uh, worshiping him out loud. What is left behind uh, when we take some of that um, incredibly healthy, uh, not support structure, but additional development of the saints putting their little matches together. Is match I the plural of matches? When we put together lots of baby fires, is there a flame? Yes, but do we all have our little baby fire? So we've been chatting about that the last couple of weeks. We've done some prayers together at the end of that. Um, how are you going with that? Has that felt like it's landed? Has anyone felt challenged? Yes? Anyone felt challenged? Has anyone felt the challenge of making change? Yes! Has it been revealed more and more that there's a level of self-sufficiency that we have, some of us, gotten into because we're actually living in a blessed land and because of our choices when it comes to that? Because really, unless there's some suffering going on, which when we're in a blessed land is sometimes very short-term on the outside, and is much more an internal suffering if we're even in the fire at all, yeah? A lot of us might go through an internal struggle, a relationship struggle, some loss, but in general, we're pretty blessed. So I'm gonna, oh yeah, so we were talking about comfortably numb. Remember we were talking about some of us are not pursuing him because we're comfortable, and with that comes a numbness. With that comes a sleepiness, and Comfortably numb is the opposite of being hot. I'm wondering if, in the Christian walk, the opposite of hot is not cold. Because to be cold is to not have a relationship with the Lord yet. Pre-Christians have, they're not cold as people, but there's a coldness because there's no fire yet when it comes to connection with him. But if we're saved, the opposite of hot is lukewarm. So we're the opposite. Some of us were like, I am lukewarm. That means we're the opposite of where we're supposed to be. Not just, oh, we're nearly there. Just got to add a bit more. Because Jesus says, remember last week we talked about Revelations 3, verse 14 to 22. And Jesus says to the Christian church, if you're the opposite of hot, if you're lukewarm, I will personally spit you out of my mouth. That's how much of a poor taste it has to the Lord. Okay, so it's the opposite of hot. So um, I'll pick up with where we left off last week. Jesus was talking about this lukewarmness to the church of Laodicea, which represents a church that is self-sufficient, possibly like ours. And he gave some directives. Do you remember? He said, if this is your situation, if there is lukewarmness going on for you, if there's a lack of heat, which means lukewarmness, three things could be really great to get into. Number one, repent. We've been doing a little bit of that even in our time together the last two Sundays. There's a repentance for the lack of the fire. You know, repenting for the lack of heat. And you can do that at home. Just as you're noticing, you wake up and during the day, I'm not on fire for him. Just get that flow of repentance going. It breaks things down. The second thing, remember, it was pay the price. Remember he even said in Revelations, it's buy gold. Like, get into the fire, get into the stuff that's burned, get uncomfortable. To be uncomfortable is to often be in the fire. Or it's the other way around where the Lord has to bring the fire to us. In the Word, there's fires. Wildernesses, is wilderness I, plural of wildernesses. There's prisons, there's pits. There's actually suffering he allows to pass through his hand and have us in for a time before he comes in and stoops down to make us great. So there can be a fire that we yield to be in, but he's kind of need to let it happen a bit to just bring that kindling back. So he says, buy, what was another thing we had to buy? Buy white garments, so really pay the price for righteousness. It costs. 
This sort of walk and being on fire for him will cost you, as Catherine Coleman says, with her flowy top and her hand like this. Have you seen her? It will cost you everything, she says, except her angel wings are even bigger and more beautiful. But it still stands today. It will cost you everything to do the narrow walk. Not Jesus cost himself everything and now we live comfortably numb. It's Jesus cost himself everything and we will live costing everything. Yeah? Let's get up, people. Let's get warm. It will cost you everything. And Jesus is saying, you will need to pay the price. That other thing he said was, buy gold, righteousness, I salve. Get out of denial. Get out of the numbness. Get out of the coping mechanisms that mean you're asleep, that you're underground, that there's complacency, that there's false peace, which is different to being a burning one it costing us everything, but having internal peace because we're alive with him. But he's like, wake up, see, see your state, move. Okay, besides paying the cost and the price, that third one, remember, was be zealous. And what does it mean to have zeal? Do you remember some of those words? Did it click up for any of you last week? Click up, new word. Did it click up for you? Neologism. Did it pick up for you that there was lack of zeal when you saw the meaning of zeal? And he's saying a command is you've got to be zealous. So let's look again, zealous, and then we're going to launch into this week. So this is a different definition from last week, but this one, someone who has zeal, is zealous, spends a lot of time and energy in supporting something they believe in very strongly, especially political or religious. Time and energy, if we looked at our timetables and if we looked where our energy most went to, is it our relationship with the Lord? And if it's not, I wonder if there's a lack of zeal. So if you're like, I'm hearing you saying be zealous, but what does that require of me? Time and energy. Time and energy earlier and then prayers in the morning, sitting up and prayers in the night, longer reading of the word. The stuff doesn't sound comfortable, does it? We can go into some more examples, but like it's got to cost us. We've got to feel the burn. We're supposed to buy gold. We're supposed to buy that refiner's fire. We've got to do stuff that's uncomfortable. Be zealous. Let's look at synonyms. Remember, synonyms mean other words that mean the same thing in the dictionary. So synonyms for zealous are enthusiastic. Is there a whole heap of enthusiasm in our Christian walk? What about passionate? Are you like, I just live with this passion for Jesus, passion for, not passion for ministering or ministry. That's not what we're talking about here. Not passionate about my dreams that the Lord's given me. Not passionate about what he's promised me and I'm holding on for. Oh, no, no, no. We're not talking about passion in general. Passionate for him. Do you have a felt passion for the things of God and intimacy and desire to be in his presence that you're uncomfortable during the day because you just need to get alone with him and you're trying to find the time and use the energy before you get too tired later in the day? That's passion for the, for, the, for the throne room. That's passion for intimacy, not passion for ministry. Earnest. I'm earnest about having that intimacy with him. Burning. There's the heat. If we're zealous, we're burning ones. Has the burn dimmed? Then we're lukewarm. He has committed to spitting us out of his mouth. If there's a sustain... A su- extended, continuous lukewarmness. It will not go well with us. So, he says, be zealous. I just want to focus on that little word, be, before zealous, because we didn't do that one last week. Be zealous is different from act zealous. And I want to hover over this, because we might start getting into some of this and get a bit of a trap. Be zealous is a heart state. Act zealous is behavior we then get into because of our heart state. If some of us miss that it's to be zealous for him, 
we could fall into that religious trap of getting into doing more in order to have behavior of zeal. Do more so that I look to him like I'm passionate, earnestly pray more in action, uh, do burning things like more. And then we'll walk out of a gathering like this and all we hear is I've got to do more. Isn't that the trap of legalism? That's the trap of religion. And that becomes a performance-oriented church, which the enemy loves. Because then their focus is on all that they need to do and require, and it's on serving and serving, and then sometimes looking at each other. They're not serving, they're not acting. And it becomes a behavior-focused journey. No, 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 no. None of this has to do with that. Jesus says, be zealous. Have zeal in your heart for me, regardless of even if you've got ill capacity to do anything behaviorally. Rather that we sit on our couch day and night and do nothing and burn for him on the inside. Rather there's no ministry ventures and no nice things here and no tech team, sorry Andrew, and no coffee and no Life Hub official leaders but that we're all burning ones. Because out of that, just burning for him, intimacy with him, he'll heal that in us which is out of capacity. He'll heal that which has taken us to the couch. And in time, we will, we will not be able to help, but a natural behavior will trickle out of us that comes from being a burning one which will lead into whatever he has for us, even if it's just little and we're never seen. Or even if it's big, but the fire sustains us. But lo, if we ever get into acting zeal. So what does it mean then if we focus on that be again? Jesus, what does this mean for the weeks ahead as we choose to get back into the hot place? What does that mean if I have zeal and if I'm being zealous regardless of a behavioral change? Okay. We are going to talk about some activity and behaviors that can support being burning ones as we go on this journey, so keep tracking along. And sometimes a behavior can actually help get us aflame again. So they're called disciplines, which are actually good things. So there is times where the disciplines, if we just choose to get into that, they actually can take us back to heat. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. So disciplines are very important like reading the word I shared last week and I'll go on to it again in a minute remember it's you eat to get hungry when it comes to reading the Bible in the natural we get hungry and then we eat in the spiritual we eat and then the hunger increases and then we keep eating the word and then we keep reading the word and then we get more hungry from him and then we just keep reading the word and then we just the word we start getting into it for longer and longer times during the day because we're so hungry for him so that's an example of using behavior to ensure it's like, not a wick, not a flick, not a flint, flint, thank you. Hmm. It's like flint, 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 flint spark, if that ever happens for you. So um, behavior sometimes helps, but in general, it's a heart position that we're talking about. So step one, we need to get hungry for him at a heart level. So this last week, I felt the Holy Spirit like a palm on my forehead. He's like, okay. We've started to dig out what is in my time to dig out the last two weeks. We need to make sure that we have true hunger for him before we get into any activity and behavior because then we're acting zealous. And I just felt the fear of the Lord that if we don't hover over internal hunger for him, then the rest of this is, is legalism. Okay, so now we're using a word like hunger for spiritual terms. It's in the Bible, we'll do that in a minute. But I just want to hover over this word hunger. Do you have a felt hunger for the things of the Lord? Not the ministry of the Lord, for being in his company. Do you have a felt hunger? Because you can feel hunger, eh? Yes? Do you have a felt hunger for time with him? Do we have a felt hunger for friendship with God? Do we ever felt hunger for the presence of the Holy Spirit 
Because remember, it's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you have a felt desire to just be in his presence, commune with the Holy Spirit? If not, it's possible we've fallen into that lukewarmness and we're in the wrong side, completely opposite to where we're supposed to be. So hunger is a gift. If I were to say that to you and you hadn't eaten all day, you would possibly say to me, yeah, right. Hunger is a very terrible feeling. I don't like it when I feel it. In fact, I get hangry. Yeah, a lot of us do not feel hunger is a gift. A child who stops eating is a very terrible thing. Like hunger is a sign of health. Hunger is a sign of health. An adult who stops eating because they're not hungry, something's wrong. So we're actually made in the physical with a need to eat and then a hunger that leads us to that. A child crying because they're hungry, a baby, pre-verbal, that's crying because they have hunger, that's beautiful and good. Something can go way off if that stops. Same in the natural as in the spiritual. To have hunger is a sign of health and it's a sign that something's not wrong. To have no hunger, just like in the natural, suggests something's wrong. So hunger is a gift. So it's a good thing. So as we're talking about hunger with God, go, I want that gift. I want what's good for me. All right, so just package it in the positive as we move forward. Am I going too fast? Thank you. Um, I listened to a teaching from Bill Johnson from Bethel Church called The Gift of Hunger. It's just 32 minutes long, so I just stuck it up there if you want to listen to it. A couple of the things I'm going to refer to, and one thing I already said on the slide, he, he unpacks on that, and I just loved it. Just if you're wanting to have something playing in the background while you're doing dishes tomorrow. Okay, so um, the gift of hunger. So one of the things that he was describing is this statement. When you live in an environment of blessing, which we've been talking about, a main requirement is to maintain a place of hunger. If you want to grab anything and you're not a fast typer or note taker, feel free to even take photos of the screen, but just for your own journaling or whatever, but just be tracking. When you live in an environment of blessing, a main requirement is to maintain, not get to, and then recede from, like a wave, but maintain, get to, and stay at. A requirement is to maintain living at a place of hunger. So what we're talking about even here and we're presenting is not even let's get hungry, it's way more important is if we start discussing how do we stay hungry. And for a lot of us in the natural, we don't want to stay hungry. We make dinner, which came at eight because we had things on and we're hungry to get away from hunger. But in the spiritual, the hunger is the gift and it's the goal. And if we're not maintaining it, something is not good. And it's going to take us to lukewarmness. Do any of you sort of feel that's how I got to lukewarmness? I lost my maintained hunger. Just me. It doesn't have to be you. But the maintaining of hunger is a key. Another thing he said, which I loved, is hunger is evidence of humility. So remember we spoke on the first Sunday, two Sundays ago, about how pride keeps us in self-sufficiency. Because if we don't, aren't living with a, a constant awareness of needing to lean into him and that we need to have him and that we need to hear from him, it's possible that there's a level of self-sufficiency and that means a level of pride. It takes humility to go, I can't do this day without you and I won't do this day without you. And I'm going to create time and spaces and moments where you can capture my heart and I can lean on your chest, even if I don't feel a lot of suffering and hence I'm not driven to you. But out of humility, I initiate creating room for you, creating space where you can speak amongst the loud and the clutter and the busy. So it's actually... A sign of humility to have ongoing hunger when it comes to the Lord. And the last one I loved that he said was, maturity in the kingdom is maintained and sustained through the posture of hunger. I loved the word posture. 
So we all want to mature in the kingdom. We don't want to be here like babies and have each other wipe our noses and um, be in that position of receiving all the time. For some of us, it is our goal. Maybe that's because there's an unmet need that we're trying to um, work out in our adult relationships. But it's really good for you and good for me if we become mature, which means we grow up. We need to get off milk and get on to meat. And we need to become mature adults. And I love how he was explaining maturity in the kingdom is maintained and sustained, which is the goal. We don't want to just get there. We want to stay there. Posture of hunger. Like, what does that even mean? What does it mean to have a posture? That suggests humility in the posture. But what does it mean to have a posture of hunger? And what does that mean for my day-to-day life? I'd like us to look up Psalm 107, verse 9. If you're not an ESV person, I just am at the moment. Um, look up the Passion Translation or the NIV or anything on your phone that's a you thing. Otherwise, follow along on the screen. In Psalm 107, verse 9, it says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. He satisfies, not our false refuges satisfy. Not our Christian relationships with brothers and sisters in the church satisfy. Not time in prayer with others satisfies. Not healing the sick satisfies. Not raising the dead satisfies. Not praise and worship. He, he alone can satisfy us. And it says that he satisfies the longing soul, not the soul, not the soul, the longing soul. Has the longing gone? He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul is the word. He fills, not TV fills, not Apple iPhone fills, not running fills. Not as in exercise, not eating, not sleeping, can also be a false refuge, not zoning out, not fantasy, not drinking, not the false refuge of anger. It says he, the hungry soul, he fills with good things. And the good things, remember, is what we were talking about on day one with self-sufficiency, because the good things are great. Relationships are great, food's great, church community is great, having a great country that's got some great principles going on and hence not in war and we've got, you know, not, not land-wide poverty going on, even though there's some issues here and there. But he said that he wants to give good things. Don't you want the God good things and not the self-gone-and-fetched good things? Because self-sufficiency ensures provision of our good things. This is promising, like that's actually a promise, that if we have hunger, he's not saying, and I'm going to leave you hungry. Like some of us, not me, I'm not saying me, but I'm just using that pronoun because it's less dramatic. Us may have had neglect in some of this area where we were hungry as children. Some of us haven't had all of that provision financially. Some of us had neglect from a parent. Some of us had a relational neglect. Some of us had lack of covering and lack of safety and things were crazy. But he's saying if we're hungry in a good way, remember it's a gift, if we're hungry in a good way, he is assuring I'm going to give you a good thing. And that takes a trust leap to not go fetch it for ourselves. That takes so much trust to take our hands off and go, I see that good thing and I want it now. And Amazon Prime can get it to me by three days' time. And then to go, he wants to give me his good thing. But some of those are good things. But like his good thing, if I just focus on hunger, if I spend my focus on hunger, not my focus on Netflix, spend my focus on hunger, he promises that. I love it. Further down the same psalm, um, verse 33 to 38, it says something that doesn't sound like God. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground. So he turns great things into not great places, a fruitful land into a salty waste, 
because of the evil of its inhabitants, so because of not great things going on in our hearts. But let's first look at those first three lines. So God of the universe who loves us and is a provider and doesn't withhold anything from those he loves and is a good father and would not give us a stone if we asked for bread actually turns great things into wilderness sigh, plural. He, he actually takes away fruit and turns it into salt. Do you know what that's called? For some of you like, yes, abuse. It's called his mercy. It's his mercy that he sometimes in our lives takes away all that's going well and we get right up and personal with that suffering. That's what I was referring to. There's wildernesses, prisons, pits, fires, all through the word, all those legends through the Old and New Testament, so many of them went through them and for long periods of time. Waiting seasons, they're another one. Have you got delay going on? It might be through his hand. It's maybe not a demon. Is there a wasteland that's come upon you? It might not even be generational curses. It might be the God of the Bible. Psalm 107 says it. In his mercy, he sometimes has things go less well for a while and just takes his hand off a little bit. And that's his mercy, that we can get desperate and to go, I've been self-sufficient. I've been fetching my own good things around here. And things get tough and I don't have an anchor. My anchor, my anchor doesn't hold within the veil. My anchor held within my wallet. My anchor doesn't hold within the whale. The whale. <laughs> Let's talk about Jonah. It's prophetic. My anchor holds within a relationship, and that relationship just left, and I have no anchor. My anchor holds within my children, and they're making me respond in this way because they've just walked away from the Lord. Where are our anchors? Because when things get tough and he flips it and there's a wasteland, what happens to us? Remember, who we are in the fire is who we are. So out of his mercy, stuff happens that's not so great. Let's look at this more. Then it says, he turns a desert into pools of water. Okay, we're going the opposite direction. A parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell. Oh, Let's. What a beautiful word. So when it comes to God providing the blessing, not Australia providing the blessing, and your generational line providing the blessing, and your wife providing the blessing, and your children providing the blessing, and your job providing the blessing, and your boss providing the blessing, but when God provides the blessing, he lets the hungry dwell in these beautiful gardens and they establish a city to dwell in. And it goes on to talk about the fruit that comes and stuff. They establish a city. That's what the hungry do. How's sleepy church Perth going? The fruit of letting hungry people dwell is a city gets established. Perth gets established on the back of hungry kingdom people, not sleeping kingdom people. But if we get out of the self-sufficiency, even getting into then what's not so comfortable, and then he provides his goodness, as we read further up that chapter, it says he lets his hungry ones, remember it's a good word, dwell in true good places, and they establish a city. So not only is it that his desire is for us to be hungry burning ones, but it's to maintain being hungry burning ones, and the fruit should be, Perth gets established. Isn't that cool? There's actually some guarantees that it's not just because I said so. Thus saith the Lord, be hungry, almighty saints. It's, it's good for you. You'll love it, although it'll cost you everything. And then we'll get an established city. This is worth fighting for. Kind of amazing when we have to choose to get uncomfortable. It's kind of an upside-down kingdom, isn't it? Like we're talking about the subject because a big wave of suffering has not come upon the earth, thus drawing us into his armpit to be at his bosom, O oh, now comforted people. 
It's like, no, while I'm comfortable, am I going to choose to get up and be a burning one? I'm not going to say that. Bethia's like, say it! <laughs> I heard it through the airwaves. There's still a lot of shepherd in me. <laughs> and this has been a lot of my sin. That's a big thing. Do I choose to pay the price? Do I choose to fork out everything I've got for something that I don't feel I need? It's the background way, the backwards way. But this is the invitation. While there isn't this felt need for him, I will choose to change my life and fork out everything and to become a burning one just because he's worth it. Out of his mercy, he lets us get hungry. So, a few how-tos, three only, for some of the way forward, and I'm not even going to them, unpack them hugely because some of them we've already done. Um, and then Pastor Brad's going to share a couple of things. What do I even do if I'm choosing the gift of hunger? Okay, I want to be hungry, not act zealously. I want to be hungry, and I'm assuming a natural outcome of being hungry is that I will be zealous. What do I do next, Amy Talbot, when I go home tonight? Humble yourself. Just keep going. I, I, I need you. I have to have you. And keep that ref- repentance pl- flowing. Pay the price. Look at what you're already paying the price for in the world. And maybe contemplate narrowing that down a little bit. Look at how many apps and channels and the money going to false refuges. And even when they're good things, look at your timetable. Two months of bank transactions, diary, rate of relationships with people compared to with the Lord. Look at what it looks like for you to be with him, to be a friend. I'd say some of us don't actually know how to be a friend of God. But do you know that he actually calls us friend? That he stoops down to make us great and that's why we can even be his friend. And he actually has the audacity to call people like us his friend, like he chose us. That's weird. Terrible choices. Speaking for myself. And yet he's like, can I please have friendship with you? Can I please share with you what's on my heart? Maybe as someone who loves getting in the presence, is it because then you can share your heart? What does it look like to cost ourselves and actually meet with him about him? And to ask, what's on your heart today? That takes a level of selflessness that, inc- that includes paying the price. Be selfless enough and disciplined enough to change tracks, people. Let's pay the price. It will cost you everything. And for the third one, let's start pursuing hunger. How do you get hungry? How do you be hungry? Got to start by pursuing hunger. Pursuing hunger. Okay, what does that look like? We're going to start chatting about it a bit today. We'll get into it more. We're not going to leave anyone behind. We're going to focus on these step by step and all just waddle, obviously, through together. Pursue hunger. One area of that that we would like to invite this community is on in on is um, just in conversations this last week or so, even just with senior leadership, we went, okay, we're going to fast. Because who are we to even assume we can make ourselves hungry? It's only by the Lord that we even can say hallelujah. It literally has to all be by him and through him. That is how dependent we actually really are. The fact that we woke up this morning, all of us in this room, is by his mercy, not our strength. It's by his mercy that we're sitting here this afternoon. He doesn't owe us another day of life. He doesn't owe anyone of us being here. Isn't that so? He owes none of us being awake tomorrow. He owes us nothing. He owes no further breakthrough. He, he doesn't even owe the promises that he's already given. He didn't owe us Jesus. 
So for him to even help us with hunger is even quite embarrassing because we can't even hunger for our lover without him making us hungry. Yeah, that's how God he is and how unspiritual and mortal and like flowers on a field we are. We are not wonderful, amazing, mighty spiritual Christians. And if anything in us has been made that so by him, he has done that work in us. Yes? So to even be hungry, which I felt him really go, start here, don't get into behaviors. He's like, and you don't even have that without me. That kind of him, because then it came with an offer. It came with, and I'm going to help. And I'm going to put those seeds. And I'm going to help you water. And I'm going to build with you a love for me. How humbling. So we're considering a seven-day fast, food fast, that you can choose to be involved in if you'd like, to do one day of, three days of, five days of. Join us for all seven. If you've never done a whole day, I really encourage you to check natural hunger in you. It's like this very act is putting to death the flesh that's for a lot of us a lot louder than hearing the sound of spiritual hunger. A lot of us feel our flesh hungering for the next episode of something that we're tracking with. A lot of us feel that hunger for some sugar. We feel the hunger to exercise. We feel the hunger for relationship connection. We feel the hunger for three meals a day and 11 Zs and second breakfast. <laughs> I was watching Lord of the Rings this week. And um, we feel the hunger. Do we feel the hunger for God? What an incredible opportunity to put that to death just for seven days of our whole life and actually go, I want to put the, the flesh to death so I can hear the sound of my hunger for him, which he has to help me with. What if we all went just one whole day? Don't go, but I'll, and then I'll eat dinner. Unless you're someone, with, like if you've got diabetes or a blood sugar thing or you need to eat with your meds, just do you. Maybe there's something with the Lord you can go, but I don't have to have this. It could just be apples all day or, you know, you, you, you choose the borderline. But for those who can stop one day for the hunger of God, if you've never done a three-dayer, die. Not, not literally. Wow, you're really tracking close. Had to rewind. Put yourself on the cross. Like, let's bring that flesh to death. I tell you what, it will suck. It's supposed to. A fast is never comfortable. So if it's like, I fasted a bit, but then it got really uncomfortable. You're on the right track. Good. Keep going. Well done. Great job. You can do it and we'll do it together. It will burn. Five day. Oh. There's even a scripture that says when you're fasting, don't even tell each other much about it because of pride. So how about fasting for up to seven days? And if you feel to go over seven days, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and if you feel to go four instead of three, like your life up leader, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> what if we did secret fasts, but all together? What are you doing? I'm not telling. What are you doing? <laughs> Let's have a secret fast all together. And if you only lasted half a day, no one will know. <laughs> Good old secret fasts. I will know. <laughs> Just jokes. But um, up to seven days or further if the Lord brings you into that and we won't know. It would be good to stay accountable to someone, especially if they're like, it's just because you're wanting to lose weight. It's actually a place people go to sometimes when it's a fast. Ha! Huh, I don't even have to work on losing weight that week because we're doing it as a church and it'll actually just slip off me. If you're someone who's actually obsessed with weight loss, don't fast. I'm asking you not to fast if you're pleased that it'll help you with your weight because that's not what the fast is for. But if you can honour, I want hunger with God, we would like to invite you into a food fast and at the same time, <laughs> 
just because we want to mix it up. Fasting, a false refuge, which we'll get into teaching about. And Brad's going to actually do some talk about idolatry next Sunday. Come along. <laughs> Who wants to come on a Sunday and talk about idols? Come on. It's going to be it's going to be honest. Honest in a let's look at what ages are in the room. Honest. So um, start fasting that. And some of you are like, I tried. Don't you know what the word addiction means? It means you can't. I know. I'm not saying get healed of it, get over it, stop it. I'm saying fast it and in all that you can do up to seven days if possible, don't go there. Just be like, I've got seven days only. Then I'm having some prayer ministry. But um, food fast, idle fast. So maybe no TVs on for the week. It won't kill us. Isn't that funny? And I'm not being sarcastic, I'm actually being real. Because it's actually part of a lifestyle for some of us. For some of us, it's actually the sound that's on in the background so that it won't get too quiet in here. Up in here, up in here. You're going to make me lose my mind. What do you need to turn off? <laughs> what needs to be turned off? Move Facebook to the last page of the screens on your phone. No Facebook for a week. You won't even know that we stopped the fast three days earlier. It sucks to be you. <laughs> because our communication's all on Facebook and we're going to change that, just letting you know. So, um, and we apologise for anyone who's been feeling it, but um, emails will tell you that all's in check. I don't know what it is for you, but ask the Lord, what is taking up my time with you? Novels. Do I need to make sure I don't have a novel for a week? It's taking away the good thing, coffee, because I want the Lord to be my strength. If you're going to take away sugar, which I'm hoping you are because it's a food thing, and coffee, start take getting off it slowly the weekend before we start. Otherwise, we have a lot of sick people on Monday night, the beginning of the fast week. Okay, so do start detoxing. Sucks that that's something that has to be a word with regard to some of the stuff we're on. But begin detoxing before we start the fast is the biggest tip we can lovingly give to everybody. Um, you're going to hear more about it this next week. We'll put a Facebook post up about it and an email. And um, we're going to talk about it again next Sunday, but Monday week. Okay, so Monday week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let's get into um, asking him. So it's not an avoidance fast, but fasting is avoidance. It's a pursuing fast. So the fast is to focus on something, not just get your focus off something, and the focus on something is to focus on Jesus, I want to pursue you and be hungry. Jesus, would you put hunger for you inside me? Holy Spirit, would you make me hunger for you? Have some of us asked that of Holy Spirit? Or are some of us actually like, I don't want him to come too close. Freaking me out. He can be over there. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to make me hungry for you. Maybe for some of us that is a prayer and it's scary and huge and we validate, but let's fast for some hunger for him together. That will help us check how much we're okay with this hungry thing while we all be food hungry together. So that's the introduction and the topic that I just wanted to unpack a bit today. Let's be hungry before we do behavior. I'm just going to hand over briefly to the boss, um, and he'll lead us in how we close. Bless you. Amen. It feels like a long time since I've been up here, teaching a sermon anyway, so... Not just today, I mean. Um, it's interesting. Do you know why when you're, like to say you have a mosquito bite and you scratch it, why it m makes it feel better, makes the itch go away? Does anyone know? So in your brain, uh, for those who know me, I, I tend to file away random facts. But in your brain, uh, itchiness and pain are like opposite things in your brain. And so actually when you scratch yourself, you're causing yourself pain, which means so then your brain cancels out in that spot where there's an itch, because your brain can't experience the two things at the same time in one particular place. 
So it's actually, the scratching is actually, I'm causing myself uh, an element of pain, which then takes away that feeling of itchiness and then it comes back again. So, But I was just pondering that in relation to even our physical bodies when it comes to the idea of numbness. Uh, you know, like our, our skin is designed to feel pleasure and it's designed to feel pain. Um, and that's, you know, so to, to be hugged, to be embraced, to be touched, you know, there are, there's pleasurable aspects to that, uh, but also, to, you know, to be pierced or scratched or those sorts of things, there's a the painful element to it. But the thing that we don't want that, I don't know whether, where numbness is ever a healthy thing in our body. You know, when it comes to your skin, when there's numbness, it means that things aren't actually working properly. Although from the outside, looking at it, you'd say, well, that skin looks completely fine. You know, it's one of the issues of uh, something like leprosy, which we don't see as common uh, today, but oftentimes people with leprosy, they'll have a numbness in their limb, and so then they won't be aware when they injure themselves. And uh, so they get sores and their feet and, and different body parts because of the numbness in, in the body. And so pain is actually happening. A lot of damage is going on, and yet the individual is unaware. And so if we take that same thing when it comes to our hearts, when it comes to being comfortably numb, we're actually doing damage to ourselves and oftentimes to other people, and yet we have no ability to recognize that. Um, and uh, yeah, there we go. So uh, just uh, touching briefly on, uh, on the pursuing aspect of, of pursuing Jesus, obviously, now we're, we're talking about pursuing hunger, but it's a hunger for him. You know, there's, we're not just, when we arrive at hunger, we're like, yeah, great, we're hungry now. That's obviously, we're not talking that's the end game. That's just, um, you know, it was part of the conversation that Amy uh, shared about where we thought, yeah, we just don't want people, you know, doing more stuff. Um, because it's got to be real. Like we want real, authentic desire for him um, because that's what he sees. He doesn't see your actions. He sees your heart. And the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And so we want to be a people to say, well, God, if you're looking on my heart and not upon my actions, then I want my heart to be filled with hunger and desire for you. Uh, and not just to be kind of doing those acts that make me look like I'm that, because that's really for the show of other people uh, and not for him at all. So Jesus, um, when he was on earth and he called his disciples to follow him, that's exactly what he did. He said, hey, you, come and follow me. So there was an invitation to pursue him. You are a disciple of Jesus. I assume if you call yourself a Christian, you're one of his disciples. So it means that he has said to you, come and follow me. So he finds disciples. He calls disciples to follow. And then he continues on his journey. He doesn't keep seeking that same disciple. He doesn't come back a week later and say, hey, don't, don't you remember last week when I called you to follow me? Like, why are you still... He's still here. And, uh, and then you know, a week later, hey, this is the second time I'm popping past now to call you to follow me. Like, what, what's, what's going on? He says, come and follow me. And, and you see the disciples of what they did. They dropped everything that they were doing and they went wherever he was going. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can get caught up um, with this idea and a longing and an expectation that God's going to come and keep finding me. That if I wait here and cry out, he'll come and rescue me. He'll come and meet me in this place. And yet Jesus, the model that he outlined, said, no, 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 I've already found you. I already know exactly where you are. So I don't need to come and find you again. But I've said, hey, why don't you come and find me? You come and follow me where I am going. Jesus has already passionately pursued us. And his passionate pursuit of us becomes the platform of our passionate pursuit for him. So again, sometimes it feels like, even in the church, like we're trying to convince one another of how much God loves you. And how much he's pursued, wants to pursue you and how much and how much he and he and he. And yet 
the, the reality is that's the, the basis of why we'd even recognize our salvation is that he's done all of the work. And sometimes the reason maybe why we're not experiencing him in the way that we desire is because we're sitting around waiting for him to find us when he is calling us to go and seek him out. That's what maturity as a, as a believer looks like, is that I get to have the responsibility of going and seeking God out. Now, God's not hiding because he's trying to be mean. He's hiding because he knows how valuable he is. I was thinking like if you walked outside and all across the car park and the ground, there were just gold nuggets everywhere. I can imagine if that happened, if all of a sudden gold just burst out of the ground everywhere all over the earth, the price of gold would plummet drastically because all of a sudden it goes from being this rare, precious thing to being just a, a kind of another rock on the ground. And the same way with the Lord, if he was just everywhere open and anyone could see him at any time, you can imagine the complacency that would start to form in people because they are, yeah, I know God is right there. Like it's, it's a big deal. So God in his hiddenness, now again, he's being fully revealed in the person of Jesus. So he's, he's made himself known. We can know exactly what he's like. That's why we read the Bible. Not so we can fill our brains with knowledge and you know, we can win the Sunday school quiz. But because in the pages of the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, the person of Jesus is revealed. So we read the, the Bible because it gives us revelation as to who he is and leads us into transformation into his likeness. But because of God's preciousness, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create an environment where you seek me out. And when you find me, you're gonna delight, and you will find me if you seek me, because that's again a promise that Jesus said. Ask and you will. I ask these guys, ask and you will. Seek and you will. Knock and the will be open to you it will but he doesn't say hey I'm going to come and find you because I'm looking for you I'm seeking you out hey I'm going to give you answers for things that you're not even asking for because I'm going to ask on your behalf hey I'm going to come and kick down the door into your life and disrupt everything even though you don't really want me to he says you have been invited to pursue Jesus We don't go looking for love, we go looking in love for him. So if we're going to pursue Jesus and he's leaving that responsibility on our end and our lives are, and the scriptures sorry, are filled with the promises of him meeting us when we seek him out, the question is, well, where do we find him? And one place that we find him is in the secret place. We read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, and it talks about prayer. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So there is this, this idea called the secret place. Now it talks about going and locking the door. And now you might want to set up and have a space in your house. If you have young children, as Lisa and I do, um, I don't know what it is. It's like as soon as you close the door, there's this, like maybe it must be a really high frequency alarm that only children can hear that goes off and they go, woo, 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 quick, quick, run to wherever that closed door is and try to make your way in. I don't know what it is. It just happens. And so sometimes you need to, you got to take that seriously and go, I find a place with a locked door that I can hide away. There's not enough room underneath that they can jam their fingers or slide notes under and that sort of thing. So there is some practicalities here. Uh, but the secret place is just a place of you and him dwelling together and delighting in that place. And again, there's, you know, as we continue on this journey, we're going to give you lots of tools to help you to connect with Jesus, uh, maybe new ways that you haven't known. Uh, but ultimately, it's not about in that time reading your Bible or praying for a certain amount of time. It's just about being with him enjoying his presence and feeling the delight of God enjoying your presence. But we can find him in that place. So when we set apart time to be with him, we'll find him in that place. But there's another place that we also find him. 
which you might not recognize immediately. And in some ways, it's almost the opposite of the secret place, uh, and that's the marketplace. Um, interestingly, uh, the, this, one of the scriptures that uh, Amy shared last week of the, um, the ten virgin, virgins with the uh, oil and going to find oil, and, and they tells them, well, go then to the marketplace, go and buy oil. It doesn't say the marketplace, but that word in the Greek, to buy, means to dwell in the marketplace. It's to dwell in the place essentially where God brings the oil. But there is a place that we encounter Jesus that's not just in the secret place, but in the marketplace. And it's Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate them out, the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on one side, the goats on the other. But it says, you know, uh, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick when you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brethren, or my brothers, you did to me. And then it goes on to say the opposite of that. I found this profound because I, I, I know this idea of, and, and this, this reality of meeting him in the secret place. But there's also this reality of meeting him in the marketplace. That when we love and when we serve and when we humbly come before and, and help other people, we encounter Jesus in that place too. And I think there's a healthy order in this, that our encounters in the secret place prepare us for our encounters in the marketplace. So if we're only seeking encounters in the marketplace, we're going to miss seeing him because we see him more clearly in the secret place. When we see Jesus in the secret place, we can see him in the marketplace. When we hear his voice, in the secret place, we're prepared to hear his voice in the marketplace. When we become like him in the secret place, then we get to behave like him in the marketplace. Now I'm using that word marketplace just because it fits with secret place, but essentially I'm talking about in private versus in public. And Jesus even says, you know, when you pray to your father in private in that secret place, then I will go and produce fruit in the, in the wider sphere. So there is an order that he talks about. But to recognize if we become people, then we can become lopsided even in pursuing Jesus. Because if we spend all of our time only in the secret place, that can actually be lopsided because he's called us to go and reveal himself and encounter him in the marketplace too. Because that's where he dwells. He literally says, when you serve, when you love, when you, when you minister to the poor, when you clothe the naked, when you, when you bring healing and restoration, you're doing that to me. So we get to encounter him in that place too. And the last scripture is Matthew chapter 7. Starting at verse 7, if I can open my Bible which our dog chewed, our new puppy chewed my Bible. It's like my oldest um, favorite Bible, and she chewed the corner of it, so it's held together with duct tape. That's why, that's why God makes dogs and kids cute. <laughs> Otherwise, something bad would happen to them. We'd have a lot less people and a lot less dogs. <laughs> Matthew 7, chapter 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks find, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to good give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? And this is what I want to drill home to you 
our Father, your Father in heaven is a good God. And he desires to give good things to you. He desires to give his Holy Spirit to you. He's not hiding because he's playing some sick and twisted game. And you're the one person, you're that one Christian who just can't seem to find him. You're that one person. I know everyone else can hear him, but I just can't hear him. God's not playing a game. He's inviting you into that pursuit of him. Because he is a good father. He desires and delights for you to experience more of him. And he's inviting us into that greater measure of encounter with him. He's not sitting there angry, saying, where the heck are you? You're supposed to be home at 11 o'clock. He's like, my heart is aching to be with you. Like, do you understand that the, the, the God who would send his son to die on a cross for all of your sins when you were his enemy, he's not then going to turn around and go, oh, sick of these people waiting for them. Do you understand that the length of his suffering and his patience and his, is an expression of his longing for you? If he went to that degree in order to win you, do you think now he's all of a sudden going to turn bitter and sour and be like, oh, I'm sick of these people. I'm not waiting around any longer. The same longing that would have been in his heart to send his son and the son chose and said, yes, because I long for, for my people too. That longing hasn't changed because God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So that same longing, he is there. I've had to wrestle through this idea of like, it's been too long. Surely he's not going to want to spend time with me now. It's been days without me talking to him. Surely he's just not interested anymore. Or what loops and hoops am I going to have to jump through in order to earn my way back into his presence? But when I seek the scriptures, I can't find any hoops to jump through. Because he's jumped through them all. And I'm always then reminded of in Hebrews, I think it's in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, come boldly before the throne of grace that you might receive mercy and grace in your time of need. And I remember reading that going, that's the opposite of what I thought. I thought, I'm going to stay in the pigsty till hopefully God would give me this the skerrick of grace that I could somehow drag myself out of the mud and come groveling back into the throne room. So in that place, then I can get what I need. And God says, no, no, no. When I sent my son and you received my son, you became a son, which means you have access 24 hours a day, seven days a week into my throne room. So you come in boldly and in that place, you will receive the grace and the mercy that you need. In that place, you receive the grace and mercy that you need. So whatever you're struggling with, wherever you're stuck, the answer is in the throne room. And as I'm going to share next week, we're going to be talking about idolatry. And again, that might seem like a big, scary thing for you, but I just want you to know it's, I'll, I'll be gentle, I promise. But it's a place of robbery and it's a place of blindness. And it's a place that takes from us, even though it seems like it's fulfilling us so much. God is longing for his people. He wants his bride back and he's coming for us again one day. But I want to be ready to delight in the meeting of him when he returns. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Just enjoy, invite the team up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, we just come before you and we just want to be as real as we can be with you, Lord. And even where maybe for some of us denial is covering our eyes and we're not able to see the depths of our need for you. 
or Lord, where there's things that are just right now feeding us so that we're not hungry, Lord. But Jesus, would you give us the boldness and the courage just to acknowledge, I'm not hungry, Lord. Or even just to acknowledge, I'm not as hungry as I want to be. Or I'm not as hungry as I know you desire me to be. Would you reveal it, Holy Spirit? Would you reveal our need, Lord, our need for you, God? Where we think we can see, would you reveal how blind we are? Where we think we are wise, would you reveal how foolish we are? Where we think that we are fulfilled, would you reveal how empty we really are without you filling all of those places and meeting all of those needs, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir up a passion in us, Lord, a hunger in our hearts to pursue you, Lord. Even maybe for some of us where we've gotten into a a habit or a pattern of just waiting around for you to do something, God. And yet you're waiting around for us to just do something. It might just be just set apart five minutes for me. Just come down and get some prayer for it. Talk to someone and for some accountability, just do something to move forward and let the hunger and the desire increase. And Father, maybe there's some of us here that are like, man, I feel like I'm so on fire for you, Jesus. But I want more, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, that there's no, there's no limit. There's no limit to how much we can enjoy of you. There is no limit to how much you can fill our lives with your fullness. You are the one thing that we can never have too much of. Lord, that you would stir up a company of gluttons for God. (laughs) So hungry for you that we would feast on you. And Lord, not just that we would be a people that would then spend all the time in the secret place, but that when we go from the secret place, Lord, we would go out into the marketplace so filled with you, so radiating your nature, that we would encounter you and people would encounter you through us, Lord, because we are so filled with your presence, so filled with your nature, so filled with your thoughts and your sight and your voice that our neighbours would be changed, that our neighbourhoods would be changed, that our nation would be changed because a people said yes to you and got hungry and decided to pursue more and more of you that would see your manifestation amongst the nations, Lord. So we thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's just worship him together and just allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in your heart in this time.